Well, good morning again, everyone, brothers and sisters. Thank you all for being here today. Those who are here in person and those who are watching from home, uh, it's our real hope that as more and more of us are getting vaccinated and getting our shots, kind of sounds like dogs being taken to the vet, doesn't it? Getting our shots, and as COVID continues to decline, that we will have more and more of us here back together in person. Quite a few of you I still have never met, so I've got a lot of that to do since we've been remote for so long. But again, thank you for being here. It's a beautiful day outside, and I hope it'll be a beautiful day on the inside. We're going to talk this morning uh, back in the Gospel of John chapter 1. We had a lesson a couple of weeks ago where we looked at the beginning of the Gospel of John chapter 1. And I mentioned at that time we would come back to it over the next couple of months with a lesson scattered here or there because that chapter in particular has so much to learn, uh, to teach us, that we can learn from. And there's so much material in the first chapter of the Gospel of John that I think can benefit us each and every day. So this is going to be the second installment if you will, where we look at the Gospel of John chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5. So where we were last time, we were looking really at the first three verses of the Gospel of John, where John starts out saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being, that has come into being. We glorify God by remembering that God is behind everything and in everything all the time. And I think that's been a challenge to some of us over the last year because events have seemed, have seemed so out of our control, have seemed so complex, have seemed so, uh, to an extent, never-ending. Are we ever going to be able to hug somebody again? Uh, are we ever really going to be able to be back to whatever normal was? But we need to remember that God created everything and God is in charge of everything. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. Uh, I've heard it explained that the, in many ways the universe exists because God's power causes it to continue. God supports it. You know, we, we've had this thought before of, there was a song, I guess it was in the 60s, I really don't remember uh, exactly, but he's got the whole world in his hands. I know we've all heard that, right? But I would say it's even bigger than that because he's got the whole universe in his hands and it's being held up because it's in God's hands. And you can go to that extreme on the large size, you can also come down to the other extreme, if you will, on the small size. He's got you in his hands. He's got me in his hands. And if I'm in the hand of God, there's really nothing that I need to worry about or fear, pandemic or no. Uh, that doesn't mean that you play basketball on the roof of a building with the lights off, right? Because you can go charging off the edge of that roof pretty easily if you don't have a light on. We wear seatbelts because despite being in God's hands, we take some precautions. But God's in control. Let's make sure we don't forget that. The real problem in the world has nothing to do with God. It's our own choices that are sinful that have led us to be separated from God. And as I say, he really does have the whole world in his hands. Let's don't forget that from a couple of weeks ago. 
this morning, we have, starting in verse 4, we read, In him, in Jesus, was life. A composer of a symphony or a piece of music that's complicated, more so than what we usually hear on the radio, will often state the theme of that music rather early on. Uh, and in this case, in the Gospel of John, life, the concept of life is one of those great themes. And so here in verse 4, John is already stating one of those great themes that's going to be in the Gospel of John. It begins and ends with life. Here in verse 4, in him, in Jesus, was life. And then all the way at the other end, pretty much, of the book, in chapter 20, we read, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So life is at kind of the bookends of the entire story of the life of Jesus, if you will. So when we say, in him was life, if you look through the account of Jesus' life, the whole idea of life is constantly on Jesus' lips. The Greek word for life is zoe. Zoe is one of the few Greek words I know. So when you see that restaurant, right, there's Zoe's Kitchen. I'm not affiliated with them. I don't own stock. But Zoe's Kitchen is the idea of this is life's kitchen. Come here to experience life is what the owners of that restaurant are trying to suggest to you. Zoe is the word for life. It occurs in John 35 times. A verb form of life, live, occurs more than 15 times. Jesus uses it in chapter 5 with a, a rather wistful regret that people would not come to him so that they might have life. If only the people would come to me, they might have had life, but they won't. In chapter 10, he claims that he came to give people life, an abundant life, at that. In chapter 14, verse 6, we have one of those famous I am statements that Jesus makes that's recorded in the Gospel of John. He says, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. So what does he mean by life? We're going to talk about life in the Gospel of John. What's meant by this idea, this term that's called life? I mean, all of us sitting here today have life because we are, in fact, sitting here, not just laying here. We all have life. So what's really meant by life when Jesus is talking about it, when John is referring to it? Well, first of all, life is obviously, I think, the opposite of destruction, condemnation, and death. All the way in the gospel in miniature, John chapter 3, verse 16, we have this statement. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That opposite of perishing is having life that never ends, eternal life, everlasting life. In John chapter 5, verse 24, we read, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. So a real key component of the idea of life in the Gospel of John is avoiding perishing, avoiding death, and having life given to us by God. A few verses later we read, Those who have done good will eventually come to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There are two futures awaiting us. 
There's only two. And we're going to be either in a group of people who were resurrected to life, or we're going to be in a group of people who were resurrected to condemnation. That's it. There's no third option. I haven't left out a, a middle option here, a resurrection to kind of having life or whatever. There's the only two options we have, and those are the opposites. So life involves avoiding condemnation, avoiding destruction, avoiding perishing. In John 10, verse 28, Jesus states, I, and I give them eternal life, and again, they shall never perish. That gift of eternal life is, in fact, a gift. Someone who does not know Jesus may live, but they really don't know what life is all about. I mean, you can live for a long time locked in a small room. I remember having a period of isolation when I came down with COVID. For 10 days, I was a prisoner in the corner of our house. I mean, I didn't come out of that room. For 10 days, you talk about, I mean, you want to sit down and start counting how many fibers are in a carpet in a stretch. Because there's, you, you are alive, but there's nothing to this life. That's not living. It really isn't living. And from the Gospel of John's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, from God's perspective, a large number of our uh, people, our friends, our relatives, our neighbors are alive, but they really don't yet know what life is all about. And that's what Jesus came to share. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Second, what is meant in many ways by this life? Again and again in the Gospel of John, it's not just life, it is eternal life. It is simply not life that exists forever. I assure you, I would not have wanted to live forever or even much beyond that 10 days in that small room where I was isolating because I was trying my best to keep COVID to myself and not give it to anyone else. That, you, you might be in there for a long time, but that in no way is what you want for life. I would not have wanted to live forever in that small room, relatively speaking, that I was in. That is not what eternal life is all about. It's not just duration of life, but it's a quality a quality of life. What Jesus offers us from God in many ways is an opportunity to participate in God's own life. What do I mean by that? Again, if you think about the whole idea that the universe exists because the power of God is in essence supporting the universe, think back to what Paul had said in Acts 17. He quoted one of the pagan poets to prove that there was a flash of an idea of what was all really going on with God in the world. In him we live and move and have our being. We exist now dimly, as it were, in God's life because this whole universe is in effect inside God. God is everywhere and everywhere. But when we move from darkness into life by becoming a member of God's family, then we have an even better glimpse of what is meant by this life living with God and living as part of God's existence. I'm convinced that the real reality of eternity, the real reality of the resurrection is moving completely into God's existence. Whatever that really means, whatever that really means, that we have only a dim glimpse of now. And so, you know, people have asked, what will you do in the resurrection? What will you do? Well, you're not going to be, I don't think, strumming a harp on a cloud forever. You know, 
Well, there's no indication that's it. I had a Bible teacher once that said he hoped he could play guitar sometime in the future in heaven. I'm like, well, you know, I don't find that in there either. But what I do find is that we're going to be living with God. We're going to be living as part of God's existence. That's the abundant life to which we are headed. Eternal life is a life that knows of the serenity, the peace, and the power of God himself. And Jesus invites us to enter into the very, if you will, the very life of God by becoming a member of his family. And that's what we're headed for. That is truly what we're headed for. We read, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Another big theme in the Gospel of John is the idea of light. It occurs 21 times in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the light of men and women. I'm paraphrasing John 1, 4 right here. It doesn't mean that, mean that Jesus is only the light of men, the light of everyone. So the light of men and women, children, anyone and everyone, Jesus is in fact the light of us all. John the Baptist's function was to point people to the light which was in Jesus. In John chapter 1 verse 7. Twice, twice Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He does that in chapter 8. He also does that in chapter 9. People can become children of light. When we become children of God, since God is light, we become children of the light as well. Jesus came in John chapter 12 as a light unto the world because the world was still in darkness and so many parts of it still are in darkness today. So what kind of light is this? If Jesus in him was life and that life was the light of men, what kind of light are we talking about here? The light that Jesus brings puts chaos to flight. One of the oldest fears in the world is the fear of darkness. Remember as a child that you have to have a night light on? And little Johnny doesn't want to go to sleep because it's dark, right? Well, what I found sometimes is that we go through that on both ends of our time scale. Because as we get older, sometimes we want a light on in case you need to get up in the middle of the night. You're not tripping over a, a chair or whatever else may be in the way. But we really don't like darkness. You want to have people erupt into some fear, have them in a well-lit place, and have the lights suddenly go out. But one thing you're certain to hear in that case is some kind of a gasp or a squeal or a scream. We don't like darkness. That's why we have lights that we turn on when it gets nighttime outside. Well... Jesus is the one person, the one person, if you will, who can truly put out darkness, truly put out darkness. The light that Jesus brings is also a revealing light, a revealing light. People love darkness rather than the light. We, we hear that in the Gospel of John. You know, most of the time, somebody who's interested in doing something bad or evil doesn't do it when there's a giant floodlight right on their face. They usually try to pick places where it's very dark. Uh, these days, it seems the evil's getting stronger and stronger in some places, and so people will do things in the broad daylight. But generally speaking, wait around until it's dark, the real darkness of the night, two, three, four in the morning, because darkness means I'm not as visible to people. We, we often will have people who will do things they know are wrong when it's dark, so they don't think they can be seen by anyone or anything. But Jesus' life shows things the way they are. You know, we may really 
really never see what our lives are like, what my life is like, until it stands in the light that Jesus shines on. Because when that light is shining on us, you can't really hide from yourself anymore. We do a pretty good job of doing that. We hide from ourselves. We, we rationalize, we excuse things that we want to keep doing that we know are wrong because we think we're the only ones that know about it. Well, I promise you, Jesus knows and sees all. God sees and knows all. And that ought to be a scary thing if I'm hiding things from other people. I may think I have everything all safely tucked away, right? Nobody can see what's in my coat pocket, so everything's fine. God knows everything. And the light that Jesus brought to the world shines on each of us in turn and really should expose to us the helplessness that we have to face the world by ourselves. That's not meant to be depressing, but to show us the need that we have for God. I can't fix my problems on my own. I just can't do it. I need to come to God, to come to Jesus, to have that help to solve the problems that I've created for myself. The light that Jesus brings is a guiding light. Uh, the, the man or the woman who does not possess the light walks in darkness and does not know where he's going. You ever tried that when it's truly totally dark? You know, I, the only reason I don't kill myself in my house if I'm walking around at night is I have a feeling for where things are. It really gets messed up if, if one of us has moved something. You know, we leave a box out in the middle of the way where it usually isn't. You, you pitch your knee or something like that, or worse, something worse happens to you, right? But if you're walking around in darkness, you usually don't know where you're going. So Jesus' light is a guiding light to show us where we are, which is really important. To show us who we are, which is very, very important. But to guide us to where we need to be. And it's that light, kind of like the light on the shore. It warns of dangers, but also says this is where safety lies. That's the light that Jesus brings. In the Gospel of John, people keep coming to Jesus asking him, what am I to do? What should I do? And when Jesus comes into someone's life, the path that was darkness suddenly has light on it. The difference between trying to walk in the woods on your own on a dark night when the moon's not out, and somebody saying, oh, by the way, I have a flashlight. And this flashlight gets brighter the closer and closer you get to home. That's what Jesus brings. So my question to each of us this morning is, do we walk in the light? You know, if you're a member of God's family, you have the grace of God that covers our sins if we are continuing to try to live for God. But that grace does not cover us as we continue to walk further and further and further away from God. You can walk away from God's grace. The question is, am I focused on living for God more each day as opposed to living for myself? And if you're not a member of God's family, then you're still walking in darkness. And Jesus would say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will show you what life is really all about. So let's pick up verse 5 now. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. 
and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The Greek word that's translated comprehend has three different meanings. It can mean comprehended in the sense of just didn't get it, right? You can have a teacher that's explaining something. If it doesn't get there today, we would say, I just don't get it. I don't comprehend what you're saying to me. I don't understand it. So in this case, the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand what the light was. It can also mean, the English Standard Version says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In that sense, Jesus' light, the light of God, is shining into the world, and darkness has not been able to overpower it. Or, in the contemporary English version, this is what I happen to like, the light keeps shining in the dark, and the darkness has never put it out. Darkness cannot overpower the light of God. It cannot overpower the light that Jesus brings into the world. The darkness is going to fail. But why would I want to stay on the side of the losing approach to life? Darkness is not going to be able to put it out. The darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness doesn't get it. The darkness never overcame the light. Also means extinguish or put out. I prefer that last meaning. Although people did in the time of Jesus and have continued to do since then, even today, to do all they could to obscure, to, to extinguish the light of God that's shown in Jesus, they cannot. They cannot. Lots of people have tried to put the notion of Jesus, to put the notion of eternity out of the lives of people living in the world. It hasn't worked, and it's not going to work. It's not going to work. The idea of darkness, this Greek word skotos, occurs seven times in the Gospel of John. Darkness is hostile to the light because the light shows too many things. People think darkness can hide, as I said a moment ago, hide things from others or from God. It's not true. John 3, 19. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men and women love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Don't put me in the focus because I have things I don't want people to know. Don't shine that light on me. Well, God's light is already shining on you. It's already shining on you. So, what does my life look like? Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. For people who have come into God's family, for people who have turned their lives over to God and are living for God and trying their best not to live for themselves, they are no longer in darkness, but they are now living in the light. They are living as light in the Lord. They have begun to partake, if you will, again, of living in God's lives, as we talked about a moment ago. Darkness can also refer to ignorance. It can refer to ignorance. Jesus in John 12, 46 says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. You shouldn't be living for yourself, but you also need to understand what God has done for you because he loves you. Back uh, later on in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. How do you know who's in the light? A very strong way to know who's in the light. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is actually in darkness until now. There are so many ways that it's possible for us to hate our brothers and sisters, hate our neighbors. 
It can be by not responding to a cry for help. It can be by not seeing uh, prejudice when it's actually in front of us, by not stopping activities that are prejudicial, by not stopping things that are hurtful or hateful. Remember, the focus of God through the prophets in the Old Testament was to make sure that justice was sought out in the gate and to make sure that the rich were not oppressing the poor, make sure that those who were widows and orphans, people who could not stand up for themselves, had an advocate. God's people must, must be involved in making sure that society takes care of the weak and those who are being oppressed. And that includes us today. That includes us today. If I say I'm in the light and I hate my brother, I lie. I do not speak. Many of the settings in the Gospel of John are dark, and when those settings are brought to light, when you see those, they're full of symbolism. In John chapter 6, Jesus was walking on the water to the disciples. He's coming out on the water, and they see him walking on the water, and they think, oh, it's a ghost. You know, nope, nobody walks on the water. But think about the setting of it again. They're rowing on the water, and it was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them. In part, they're afraid because they're out on the water in the dark. They, not a good thing to be doing in the Sea of Galilee where they are to be rowing in the dark, not back to the shore yet. Jesus comes to them in the dark and they are afraid. In the approach to the tomb, John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. Most of us don't like going to tombs or grave sites, period. And what's the number one thought around Halloween, right? We picture people in the graveyard at night. It's a scary thought. Here goes Mary Magdalene out to the tomb of Jesus, and it's still dark. In the betrayal, when Jesus is handed over to the authorities, John chapter 13, verse 30. Having received a piece of bread, he went out again immediately, and it was night. When Judas leaves the group to go betray Jesus, it's night. It's as if John is saying that the Christ-less life is a life that was lived in the dark. In so many ways, that's true. In so many ways, that's true. When Jesus is not part of our lives, we are living in the dark, no matter how bright it may actually be outside. Darkness often stands for life without Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, That was the true light which coming into the world gives light to every man, light to every woman. True here is this Greek word that means true or real. You can have light, but it may not be real light unless it's the light from Jesus. You can have life, but it's not going to be real life unless it involves Jesus as part of that life. Before Jesus came, there were many other lights that people followed. Some people followed the Buddha. Some people followed the schools of philosophy Greek and Roman society had, whether the Epicureans or the Stoics, they tried to follow after these ways of seeking truth, and from time to time there was a glimmer of what reality was all about, because human wisdom got a piece of it, but it didn't, can't possibly get all of it. There were other lights, some of them had fragments of glimpses of reality in them, and it's still the case today. When people say we need to be nice to everyone, they're saying something that's true, but it, if it doesn't involve Jesus, it's only a part of the story. 
Jesus is the only genuine, the only true life and light that's in the world. Compared to the flickers of light that came before, Jesus' coming is like the sun rising. You can light a match in the night and it seems pretty bright to show you what's right in front of you. doesn't compare to once the sun is up and you see the whole picture. So again, reading in John chapter 1, In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not extinguish it. That was the true light, which coming into the world gives light to every man. Jesus' coming removed the shadows of doubt. There's really no reason to have doubts anymore. Because Jesus came and died for each one of us that we might have life. To the pagan, God existed either in the shadows or in the realm that no one could approach. One of the schools of philosophy said the gods don't care about you. Why do you care about them? How different is the message Jesus brought to us? Jesus came and dwelt among us. His coming dissipated the shadows of despair. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, had said, people hate their sins but can't leave them either. That would be a despairing place to be. You hate yourself for what you're doing, but you also can't turn it loose. Jesus said you can turn it loose because when you come to me, I will set you free. I will set you free. He came us not only to show the right way, but to show us how to walk in it and live in that right way. The ancient world was exclusive. This is the final point here this morning. The Jew hated the Gentile and thought that the Gentiles had been created to keep the fires of hell hot. That's not going to lead to a lot of nice conversations between Jew and Gentile, is it? The only reason you're here is God needed some kindling. Very exclusive. The Greek always thought that knowledge uh, was only for themselves. It was never for everyone. Only to the proper people is knowledge entrusted. The Romans looked down on the barbarians. In fact, barbarian, the word for barbarian, comes from the Greek-speaking people, the people who had all the knowledge, not understanding people that spoke in a different language. To them, it sounded like, you know, the old slapping of the lips, or that kind of stuff. That's the idea behind barbarian. You're not civilized. You're not one of us. Exclusive. Contrast that to the message that Jesus Jesus came to be the light for everyone. Very exclusive. To the Jew, to the barbarian, to the Greek, to the Roman, to men, to women, to everyone. For the first time, the message that God has for the world is now freely expressed to all. Beginning in Judea and Samaria and then to the, what does it say, the uttermost parts of the earth message of forgiveness is for all but most importantly it is for me and it is for you only the God of our Lord Jesus Christ has a heart big enough to hold the whole world and my question and my plea with you today even those of you who are at home as well will you give your life to him since he gave his life for you that call of coming to God is made 